Okay, we're, uh, we're continuing in our study through the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. So if you open up to Hebrews 11, if, uh, does anyone want to pass out some Bibles? If anyone doesn't have a Bible? All right, you're on, Tony. Pass them out. Tony's got it, and James has it. So if you need a Bible, they'll be walking down. Just grab them, and they'll help you out. Hebrews 11, and also um, put a finger in um, Acts 7. Acts 7, and then we'll actually even jump over to Exodus too. We're going to have a fun night tonight. Let me pray and then we'll begin. Lord, thank you for this evening and thank you for your word and thank you for the life of Moses. And tonight, Lord, as we study his life, may our heart be filled and blessed and strengthened, encouraged and challenged. And so Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth and we, we are so grateful for your presence tonight. Lord, if we just came to hear from a man, we'd be wasting our time. Unless you build a temple, we labor in vain. And the only thing living here is your word. And cause us, Lord, to come alive to your word, that we would be forever changed. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, Hebrews chapter 11, we always begin with the uh, first verses of Hebrews 11, because this is the point of the study of the hall of faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and it, we're going to see that tonight. It's, it's going to be fascinating. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Verse 6, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the idea is we take God at his word. And some people say it's a blind faith. It's not. He asks us to use our intellect and our, our reasoning and our mind, and he gives us evidence, and, and we see these things. And the Bible says all of creation screams of the glory of God or declares the glory of God. Uh, it takes much more faith in my estimation to believe in evolution than it does to believe in creation. Um, the mathematics don't add up. You look at a number of other things, and it's just odd to me. And if anyone wants to contend, I'm happy to do that. I just don't want to do it tonight, right now. I'll do it afterwards. Grab me. Let's have a conversation. I don't want to argue, but I certainly would like to dispel any myths that you may have learned in your comparative religion class in your community college where you seem to think you understand the entirety of the scriptures that you haven't read. So, where were we? Um, let's go down to verse 23. By faith, Moses, and we've already studied his parents. Remember uh, Amran and Jochebed? Do you guys remember last week? Hello? Yeah. Yeah. All right, I, I just want to help you with something. Amran and Jochebed? Uh, well, we'll fill you in later, Bailey. Increase the medication and we'll be all fine. No, I'm just kidding you. Amran and Jochebed and uh, Ginkgo Biloba. Really good. Amran and Jochebed. You remember that uh, Jochebed was married to Amron, and it was his aunt. And you're thinking, the Bible's pretty funky that way. Moses' parents, actually his, his mother was his uh, great aunt and his, his mom. Right? And I was thinking, how can that be until today? Today's fascinating. Uh, we got a phone call. I, I got a phone call. I passed it on to Michelle. I won't go through all the details, but suffice it to say that uh, somebody inquired if we were willing to adopt or knew anyone who was willing to adopt. And I called my wife and I said, you know, what do you think? I mean, I'm 52, you're 21. I mean, we can, she, she just stays that age. And, and I was thinking by the time the baby's 18, I'll be 70 years old, 71. 
uh, I'm thinking, I, I could pull that off, you know, and I was contemplating that. And then as I was driving into the uh, church, it, it occurred to me that technically this child, whether it's a boy or a girl, it's in the womb, so I don't know at this point, this child could end up marrying uh, my my grandson or uh, if we have a granddaughter, and 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 then and, and it would be legal because there'd be no biological aspects to it, and technically that would be marrying your aunt. Are you tracking me? So I'm just saying, you know, the, and their offspring that would be uncle, daddy, or auntie, mom. So let's move on. I, I resolved it. Done deal. Bam. Aren't you impressed? No, I thought that was a great illustration. Thank you. Thank you for all the feedback. I feel blessed. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. We studied this last week because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. So we studied his parents and we saw their faith. But now t- tonight we start with verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, and that means he, he comes of age, He's at the point where he transfers from being a child to being an adult. When he comes of age, at this point, he refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, you remember the stories we studied it, that his parents at three months of age couldn't keep him quiet, and the Pharaoh had declared that every male child was to be killed, and they wanted to stop the the growth of, of the Hebrews because the Pharaoh didn't know who Joseph was and was overwhelmed by the fact that the Hebrews were growing and, and uh, they were going to take over. And so he wants to do population control. So he's killing the male children. And uh, Amran and Jochebed hide the child for three months, can't stop the child from crying. And they realize we've got to do something. So they put Moses in a, in a basket covered with pitch, kafar, which is atonement, covering, and float him down the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter finds him. Uh, has has pity on him. Um, her heart is broken as the child's crying, and um, and there is Miriam, uh, Moses's ten year old sister, and says, "I know a nursing Hebrew mother. I'll go get her." And that ends up being Jochebed, and she comes and gets to nurse Moses. And through his childhood, there she is, you know, tending to him, probably teaching him all that she knows. And even her name is one of the few names in in early hebrew writing that that has yahweh in in the name itself and so she has a relationship we we know that of shem ham and japheth the likelihood is that that um uh, shem was was alive when abraham lived and so he imparted all these aspects and and all the knowledge of of creation and adam and eve and so the the scriptures we hold which moses wrote genesis exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy the first five books of the bible the pentateuch moses wrote this and as we studied in acts chapter 7 he was educated in all the wisdom and knowledge of the egyptians so he understood writing he understood hebrew language he understood the history of of the hebrew people and it's during this time as he's coming of age that uh is pouring into her son uh, being paid to do this by Pharaoh's daughter. He's being raised, and, and as we find in Josephus' writings, that he was, to, he was being um, prepared to take over Egypt. He was, he was uh, being groomed to take over for Pharaoh. Pharaoh looked at Moses as his son, and he was going to have Moses take over all of Egypt. And he was being groomed for that purpose. And he's considered, if, 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 if we have this child come into our family, if God blesses us in that capacity, this child would be a McCoy. And the idea is Pharaoh looked at that with Pharaoh's daughter. 
and, and, and was grooming him to take over the kingdom. We also know that he commanded the Egyptian army. So he, was, he understood logistics. He understood uh, how to operate in, in that capacity. He was brilliant and all those things. And he, he had favor. He was handsome in word and deed, the scripture says. He was a really good-looking guy, plus he was intelligent. I mean, Charlton Heston was perfect for the role. Uh, just thought I'd throw that out. That didn't work either. And so, so when he comes of age, at this point, not only is he coming of age, but he's, he's filled with Jochebed's understanding of, of everything pertaining to this monotheistic trust in God. And, and the oral tradition is handed down to him. And then it says here, and this, this is a very important word, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, this very important word, refused. Everyone say refused. refused. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He gets to this age where everything in the kingdom is his, and he turns to Pharaoh, and he says, I don't want to be a part of your family. Now, let's just go through the emotional aspect of that. I mean, this man has put a lot, as Josephus points out, put his mantle on this boy. He, he's, he's looking to him to lead Egypt, and he comes to him, and he, he says, I don't want to do this. And, and obviously the questions pertaining to him, we don't hear about Jochebed. We don't know what happened. We know Miriam still resides. We know Aaron is around. Those are his siblings. And so there, there's still familial connection. And, and Pharaoh's probably thinking, what, what, what's gotten into you? What's gotten into you? It's kind of like your, your kids are, are conservative when you're in your conservative house. They go off to college and then you're just like, what happened to you? Well, I listen to the professors and I believe that, you know, uh, everyone can be equal and there isn't a sin nature, and we're all communism and socialism is going to work. Okay, great. That only works in college. And, and this is what's happened. He's, he's gotten to a place where he doesn't want anything to do with Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter, the kingdom. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, let me just put that into perspective. That comes at an ex- enormous cost. And as I shared with you the story uh, last week about talking to my father, um, remember the pregnancy and the whole thing, and telling my, my parents I, I couldn't do that. My dad said, if you marry that woman, she gives birth to that child, you'll never step foot in this house again. I didn't realize at that moment that when I walked out of the doors of the house, that my entire life would, that, that would be a, a center theme for the remainder of my life. It would set me on a course it would direct me. It would, I, I've ref, referred to that story countless times. Anyone who's been in the church as long as I've been the pastor has probably heard that story 15,000 times. 10,000, okay. And, and going through this, this story, the reality is for me, it is, it's a central theme of everything that occurred in my life. And, and it cost me a lot when I walked out. Not, not nearly probably what it cost Moses, and certainly I'm no Moses, but I, I can relate to the idea of being frightened in the presence of an authority figure that has poured into your life and you're walking out of their presence and everything they have to offer you. And I, I deeply love them. And I know, I know he probably loved Pharaoh. I know he loved Pharaoh's daughter. I know he was grateful for uh, being saved. He probably saw that his entire generation, there were no Hebrew males. They had all been wiped out. Uh, he, he saw that he was blessed, that, that God's hand was upon him, but he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And look at this. For those of you who struggle over Calvinism and, and uh, um, Arminianism, Arminius and, and Calvin, and, and you think that, that God is completely sovereign, and then yet there's choice, there's free will of man, and where that lies, how can God be completely sovereign and man still have a choice? I have no idea. 
I can't explain that to you. I don't know how God can be completely sovereign and still give man a choice. I don't know. Um, and and, and I, I, don't, I can't explain to you the Trinity. I'm sorry, I have a, a temporal mind trying to explain an eternal God. I have no idea how to explain the Trinity. Uh, yeah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three gods, or three people, one God, uh, yet they talk to themselves and they answer each other and they're, I, I don't know. You go, well, pastor, you can. You, you're, you're a father and you're a son and you're a husband. You're, you're one person, but you're three people. Yeah, but I don't talk to my, I mean, I do talk to myself and some, don't answer yourself. That's when you got to go to the loony bin. But, but, you know, you go, well, what about water? It can be a solid, a gas, and a liquid. Yeah, but it doesn't talk to itself. And com- it, come on. I mean, that's a great attempt to try to describe something eternal. I can't do it. I, this is what I love about the shack. It, it, it gives this perspective that I've never seen before in any Christian movie in the history of my lifetime or anything I've ever read that, that preceded me. I've never seen anything describe the Trinity in such a way that I, I get it in a way I never, never got it before. It was fascinating. But even there, it's going to fail. It's man's attempt to try to explain an eternal God. You can't do it. So we want to get to this place where man has a free will and yet God is sovereign. Yes? Amen. Some people go, no. No, no, no. God is sovereign. There's no choice. You can, you can, you can choose, but you don't really have a choice. God has already predetermined that choice. Okay. And if he's predetermined, that, that means he's responsible for evil. He's responsible for the devil. He's responsible that some have been chosen and some haven't. And, and you're tied to a post and you're watching someone drowned. And, and God holds you accountable for their drowning, even though you had no ability to save them. I, I struggle with that. I just don't, I, I can't embrace, I'm not a hyper-Calvinist. I, um, I, I believe in the sovereignty of God and I believe in the free will of man. How that happens? Mystery, I don't know. I know that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That God's, Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient for all the world's sins, but only efficient for those who call upon his name. And I, and I believe that, that we have the ability to choose that. I think tonight you can choose that. And I believe God is sovereign and he's appointed you to choose. And, and we can pray, Lord, cause more to choose you. If you struggle with that, welcome to Christendom. And if God were, if I could describe God to you, he would only be as big as my mind. And that wouldn't be worth worshiping, I can tell you right now. he just, go home. It's, it's a waste of time. And he's bigger and far more profound. But I, I love this idea that, that by faith, by faith, and this is what we've been studying, Hall of Faith, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing. There you go, choosing. Choosing. You come to a crossroads in life and you got to make a choice. There's a fork in the road. You're going to go left, you're going to go right. Choose this day whom you will serve, the scriptures say. You make a choice. You make a choice every day. You make a choice who you're going to take care of first, who you're going to provide for. We tend to spend more time focusing on ourselves. God says, choose. And when it comes to this place, it says that he refuses to be called Pharaoh's daughter, or, or, or refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing. And this is what he chooses instead. He walks away from the lavishness. And, and at this point, it was, it, you know, Egyptologists point out that every Pharaoh had a brewmaster. I don't know, as a teenager, that would be a cool thing that my dad has a brewmaster. And they had really good beer back then. 
Uh, did he give him the keys to the chariot? Had he, you know, what did he have? He was fanned every day. He ate grapes that had been peeled by people, put in his mouth. I mean, what, what was, it was the most lavish culture in the history of the world up to this point. And, it, and, and he looks and he says, I don't want this. I am choosing. What is he choosing? He's choosing to suffer affliction. Now stop for a minute. Remember when we studied on Sunday about the demon-possessed man and the Gadarenes or Gergesenes? And, and God answers the prayers of the demons and lets them go into the swine. And he answers the prayer of the people that say, Jesus, get away from us. We don't want you here. He says, fine, I'm, I'm leaving. And the only person whose prayer he doesn't answer, or he does answer, but he doesn't answer in the positive, is the man who's been delivered from the demons who says, let me follow you. And he says, no, you go and minister to your family. You stay right here in the darkness. Do you think he suffered affliction? Heck yeah. I mean, it, it, a, a prophet is without honor in his own country. Jesus even said of, 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 of Naphtali and Zebulun uh, that it'd be better for you, than it, it'd be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for Zebulun and Naphtali. If the miracles that were done here had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would be repenting right now. Everybody in the entire city had been healed. And they asked Jesus to leave. And Jesus tells this man who's already suffered, cut himself, bound in chains, running naked, absolutely insane. Now he's in his right mind, fully clothed, and God says, stay here and go and minister to your family. Guess what he could have done? No, uh-uh, I'm not, I, do, you, do you know how I got to where I am? Do you know the, the family I have? They put fun and dysfunction. They are the most screwed up family on the face of you. The last place I wanna go is go minister to them. Everyone in that family's hurt me. You go minister to them. We love ministry when it's easy. And that's when Jesus said before he got into the boat to cross over, he says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Ministry's tough. And he turns to Moses, and Moses says, you know what, I'm choosing to side with my people. Even though, even though it's going to result in affliction. Now that's a big step of faith. And, and listen, Every one of you, if you want to go deeper with the Lord, I have news for you. It's going to result in you making a choice. How deep do you want to go? Because there's plenty of ministry. There's a lot of people who haven't heard the gospel, and, and we're, we, this is a generation, we haven't sent very many missionaries. There's segments of the world and places that don't have churches. How deep do you want to go? Well, I, I want to go, but I, <laughs> I, mean, I still want my trips to, you know, Lake Havasu and Tahoe, and I'd like to go to Vegas now and then for the buffets. They're really nice. How far do you want to go? And what kind of affliction do you want to suffer? Because he chooses to walk away. And, and this is something that's fascinating to me. For those of us in the world that despise the wealthy, and we can get into that place, can't we? We despise people who have money. Oh, silver spooned. Yeah, they don't know affliction. They don't know trouble. And I'll preach tonight. And they're struggling. And, 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 and we, we love to, to comment on their lives. But yet here's somebody who has wealth and renounces it. And I'm asking tonight, how many people want to follow him? While we're sitting bashing the rich, here's a man who walks away from his wealth and all of us are going, well, I don't know that I really want to do that. <laughs> I, just, yeah, I want the money. And really what it is, it's envy. 
It's the envy of the poor for the rich instead of a desire to walk with God. And I have to tell you, wealthy people are trapped in the jungles of prosperity. It is a miserable place to be if you don't know the Lord. Um, Michelle and I have spent time with uh, a, a couple that they're, they're billionaires. And, uh, and I mean, his car collection, I think probably 100 cars. There's not one that's under $250,000. He has the AC Cobra Snoop, Super Snake, which is uh, $5.1 million at Barrett-Jackson auction. He's got planes and he's got an island and he's got, he's the 11th largest landowner in the United States. His own airport always has to be surrounded by a security guard. Can't trust anybody. Every day their phone is ringing nonstop for people who want money from them. Every moment somebody wants money. And everybody believes that they should give to their, to, that, that they have to give to their cause. You've been given this, you have to help us. That's an awful place to be. And, and then the burden of that, well, who do I give to? Am I enabling people? If you give to a child when it cries and a pig when it oinks, you'll end up with a rotten child and a wonderful pig. And, and, and people, ministries have imploded because of money. And you lose friends over it. And they don't know who to trust. It's, a, it's an awful place to be. And yet we despise them and their life is just as difficult. And so he chooses, he refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with who? With the people of God than to enjoy, ready for this? The passing pleasures of sin. I am so thrilled that the Bible is candidly honest. Jochebed and Amron has married his aunt. I, I love that they include that. And I love the fact that they say that sin is pleasurable because I can testify that sin is pleasurable. It really is. It, is. it is a lot of fun for a season. And the end therein is death. When our will unites with a desire, it conceives sin. And when sin is fully formed, it produces death. But in the process, it's kind of like, you know, the conception part's fun. And, and you're, you're realizing ultimately that it controls you and kills you. But it's fun for a season. I, I, I told you this story. I remember the first time I'd ruptured discs in my back. I was, I, I, I've never experienced that much pain. I, I, I had been through practices with Michael Francis Troy, you know, eight-time world record holder, uh, four gold medals, um, you know, Olympic gold medalist, uh, Navy SEAL. I, I trained under that guy. He's still feared in the SEAL teams. You know, hardest man, I, oh my goodness. And, and he, I, I never missed a practice. I never missed a single practice for two years straight. I'm one of two people in the entirety of the entire swim program that never missed a practice. And he said, Rob didn't have any talent, but man, he had heart. And, I, and he, would, he would try to make me quit. And he was good at it. And there were days where I'd just be crying. I'd be late for school because he'd make me go and go and go. Awful. And, and I, I, I think about this and the intensity of it and the challenges that are involved in it. And yet, this pain that I experienced with my back, I, I'd never experienced anything like that. I remember Michelle had to drive me from the house. I was in the backseat of the car like a dog. I had to crawl into the Kaiser and, and I, 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 oh, it was awful. My back was bent over. I was just, I looked like an S. I, I, I was miserable. And, and just moving, the excruciating pain. And they hit me with morphine. And when that entered my system, at that moment, I thought, if everyone were on this, there'd be world peace. 
it was it was awesome. And it just it was awesome. And and then realizing I, I can stand up straight now. Well, God, pain is a gift from the Lord. And it's a gift that we don't want, but we desperately need because it tells us something's wrong. Well, I would ignore the pain because I had the medication. And then over time, the medication even helped with my emotions. I, I, I didn't like being broke. I didn't like living in lousy housing. I didn't like working for this church. I didn't like any. And I take this medication and oh boy, life is great. And then after a while, it's, it's the law of diminishing return. You need more of the medication and it gives you less of a high. And, and then when you come off it, oh my goodness, the nausea and the, 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 the itching and the sickness and the, uh, it's, it, the sweats and, and, and the depression that comes with it is so overwhelming. And it's pleasurable for a season, but there's a point right there, I don't want to live anymore. And there's some people in the room who get that. And, and you, you struggle through this. And for him, he declares he would rather suffer affliction. Let me just put that to a place. I know there's folks that have debilitating struggles, physical struggles. And I watch them white knuckle through that pain because they, they, don't, they, they, they don't want the drug to rule their life. And they're choosing to suffer affliction. And they take it as far as they can take it. And those are the folks who are saying, God, you're in this. There's something here you want to show me. And, and here, for him, he, he, he doesn't walk away in a sense. He's, he's probably got, you know, brewmaster and other things, and I'm, I'm sure they've, they've figured it all out. But he would rather suffer the affliction with God's people who are all slaves, building these massive um, pyramids and the like, than, than to enjoy the pleasures of Pharaoh's palace. And he's he, in the passing pleasures of sin. He looks at it and he says, this isn't going to pan out. And here's something special about Moses. He has a long-term view. Where's this going? Where's this going? What's the ultimate end on all this? He says, if I continue in this road, I'm, I'm going to end with lavishness. But what do you have to show for your life? And we've covered this. A good name is like a precious fragrance. I sat with a man who's a lobbyist in Washington, D.C. And, and he, he wanted to talk to me and get to know me. He'd been introduced to me by Elton Gallagher. And, uh, and I sat with him and we were talking. He's in his 70s. He's got all kinds of wealth. He lives in a beautiful place in, in Washington. And, and he's, he's flourishing. And I said, tell me a little bit about your life. I said, I want to know about you. He said, well, I got five kids and my oldest son struggles with drugs and I've kind of lost connection. He says, those are regrets in my life. I haven't spent enough time with my kids. I said, yeah. I said, are you kind of taking an evaluation of your life at this point? Thank you, I'll take that. I said, are you taking an evaluation of your life? And he says, yeah, I am. And he says, sitting with you today. Thank you, James. He says, I'm taking an evaluation of my life. And uh, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy. He says, I says, I have all the, the comforts, but I, I just don't know if I'm making a difference. I said, well, what do you lobby for? He started laying out these things. I said, why don't you make a difference now? You have a chance in the remainder of your life to make a difference for the country. Tell me the things that you won't do and the things you will do. How do you walk that line of, of working with both sides of the aisle? 
he started kind of listening to me and struggling over this. I'd share with him about Ecclesiastes 7.1 and all of a sudden our conversation ended with him and choked up in tears. And, and the power of the scriptures to touch a man who his entire life, he's been, he, he's connected to every senator and congress member imaginable. And yet he's looking at his life in his 70s going, what's behind me? And I guess that's the measure of our lives. What are you, what are you after? What's going to make you happy? Because the scripture says in Christ is the fullness of joy. And so he chooses to walk away from this affluence to suffer affliction with the people of God. Not to tell you, if we really stand for Christ, we will suffer affliction. We're going to be challenged. There's going to be things we're going to go through. And yet look at this. Look at verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. The word esteeming means he estimated he took a, a, a ledger. You know, this is, this is what I've got, and this is, this is what the Lord has, and this is where this will pan out in the end, and this is where this will pan out in the end. He starts to look at this stage in his life, and he's, he's in the first 40 years of his life, and he's looking at it going, okay, all right. And as he looks at this and he estimates it, he says, this is a dead-end pursuit. This will end up in the tabloids in the supermarket, and this, I, people may never know who I am. I may be obscure, but you know what? It's worth it because I believe in an eternity and I believe that this is what I'm living for. Only what's done for Christ will last. He, he lives with eternity in mind. All of us live for what we can see, what we can touch, what we can taste. He's living for things he can't see. And this is a character. And so he esteems it, he estimates it. And the passing pleasures of sin he walks away from, rather to suffer affliction, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt. And by the way, forsaking Egypt, he did it two times. Two times. The first time, we're going to see that he forsakes Egypt because he comes upon two Egyptians, or an Egyptian who's beating uh, Hebrew slaves. And he kills the Egyptian. And then he's found out, and these Hebrew slaves give him up. And it says he forsakes Egypt. He, he runs. The first time he forsook Egypt, he forsook Egypt in fear. The second time he forsook Egypt is when God called him in the burning bush to go back to Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Now he's going back. And, and the fascinating thing about Moses is, here he is, he's educated in all the wisdom and knowledge of the Egyptians. He's handsome in word and deed. He's got all the power and authority. He makes a choice. He says, God, you've got somebody here. And I love the way Don McClure describes it. He says, Moses lived 120 years. The first 40 years of his life, he was a somebody. He was all, all the knowledge of the Egyptians, wisdom, handsome in word and deed. This guy was all set to go. I mean, he was equipped. He had, he had Egyptology. He had astronomy. He had mathematics. He had a powerful education. He spoke multiple languages. He was a good-looking guy. He was articulate. He had authority. He had connections. This guy's going somewhere. He's a somebody. Next 40 years of his life, when this whole thing happens with, with the Hebrew slaves that give him up, and he, he forsakes Egypt in fear, he ends up in the backside of the Midian desert as a nobody. He was a somebody who became a nobody. For 40 years, he's a nobody in the backside of the Midian desert, and all he has to talk to are sheep. 
And as he's tending and caring for sheep, he's learning how to shepherd. Because ultimately, he's going to have to shepherd two million people that are just as stupid as the sheep. At least sheep will tell you where to go. Or they'll, they'll go where you tell them to go, excuse me. And, and two million people endlessly complaining. And he forsakes Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. So the second time he comes back, after God calls him from a burning bush, the second time he comes back, we're going to cover that in our time later this evening. The second time he comes back, he comes back in the strength of the Lord, and he confronts Pharaoh. And Pharaoh comes after him. Pharaoh increases the output of the bricks, reduces the materials, and, and now he's got the Egyptians against him, and he's got the Hebrews against him, and he doesn't have a friend in the world, and everybody wants to kill him. And he's, he's the, only, the only friend he has is the Lord, and the Lord's just making it harder and harder. And you can imagine Moses, at this point, he walks away, and I, I remember this when I was offered the job in San, uh, Santa Barbara. Ricky Ryan came to me, they had a plushest church. It was one of those magical days in Santa Barbara. And Ricky says, I want you to, you know, come. And he was talking about being Pastor Emeritus. And we were walking along the shore and, and he, he said, I'll come in. I'll stay with the older folks that are the givers and, and, and I'll, I'll do some mission trips, but you're going to be the pastor. And I want you. And I, I'm like, wow. And I remember coming back and telling Michelle and we were praying about it. And at the time the church was over at Skyline, we were about two services and we were, you know, and I'm looking at it going, yeah. And I, I remember preaching in Santa Barbara and they were such a neat congregation. They were very inviting. I had a chance to connect with Brett and just saw the dynamic of it. And Ricky is one of these visionaries. And I'm wondering why he wants to even do this. But this is a man that's figured out how to turn ministry into a perpetual vacation. And I'm, I, he's in Maui right now at, on a, or at uh, uh, Kumalani Chapel. It's a cool church. And he, he's now turned it where, where Greg Laurie is doing a video sermon. And Ricky just comes up at the end brilliant man. I, I don't know how he's done it. I'm going to try it here. And he, he's, no, I'm kidding. But he says, Rob, I want you to do that. And I'm like, oh, wow. Michelle and I prayed about it. We just didn't have a peace. We knew God had called us here. We knew that there was work to do. And I remember saying, I call on Ricky and, you know, just disheartened and, and, and saying no. And then it came down later that, that he was really going to leave this time. It wasn't a pastor emeritus. He was going to go to Maui and he wanted me to go and candidate for it. And I was obedient to that. And I remember that whole process and, and going through that. And two times I turned it down. I, actually, second time I wasn't really offered it, but my intro to, to the pastoral select committee was, they said, why do you want this job? I said, I don't. I said, I'm here because Ricky asked me to come. I'm being obedient. And, and then there was a division in the, from what I had been told in the pastoral select committee, there was a division of, of them because some of them wanted me and some of them wanted Dave Guzik and they were going back and forth. And they ultimately came to a consensus that, that Rob may be somebody you want, but the one person we do, he doesn't want to be here. And the one person we do know wants to be here is Dave. So they settled on Dave. And, and both times I felt so proud of myself that I'm, I, 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 I'm called here. I'm staying. And I remember coming back to the church and just feeling so... And, and immediately the tithing drops and, and people are whining and it's like one of the most critical times in the church. I'm like, you stiff neck, what are you people? Do you realize what I, I never said that, but that's what I was feeling inside. And, and, and this, is, this, is, this is Moses. He gives up all of this to go serve the Lord. And the next thing you know, he's in the backside of the Midian desert and you can imagine him with these sheep. Not a friend in the world separated from his family and he's just dirt poor. And he's thinking, this is what you get when you follow the Lord. Scorching hot, leathered, beard growing, doesn't have anyone to talk to, probably just talking to himself. He's like the homeless guy. Just some 
and he's out there, and it's, and it's, it's not like a year or two. It's 40 years. He's 80 years old. For 40 years, he's been doing this. And he's just thinking to himself, what a waste. And at 80 years of age, he sees a burning bush. He sees a burning bush, and, and the bush is speaking. And, and, and he, he has the audacity when the Lord tells him that, you know, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. He goes, um, I don't, do you realize what you're asking here? He's like, God, have you considered? He, he's telling God, have you weighed all this? I mean, I've already trusted you before and now we're here and I, I can't even talk now. I, I have never had a meaningful conversation in 40 years with a human being. I stammer now. I'm, I'm so scarred by the 40 years you put me here. We'll get to that. But he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. He comes back so empowered by the Lord that he's not afraid of power. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. The very first time, so, so God says, I'm going to send an angel of death. And this is the last plague, the death of the firstborn. He says, you know, take a kid lamb, bring it into your home, kill it, take the blood, put it in the, the basin of the, of the door where, where you'd come into a Hebrew house and, and you'd dip your feet in the basin to wash your feet because it was filthy. They didn't have paved roads or sidewalks. And so you dip it in, the, in your feet and you'd come into the house after your feet were clean. So it was at the basin of the door. And, and the Lord says, take the blood of the lamb, put it in the basin of the door. Put it right there. And then take hyssop, dip it in, and put it on the doorpost and on the top of the door. So you got blood here, blood here, and blood here, and blood down there. And then you just look at the cross. Jesus' hands were pierced. His head was with a crown of thorns, and his feet were pierced. And it's a picture of the cross. And this is the Passover by faith. He's realizing that the angel of death passes over. God gives his firstborn so that we might live. And this is, this is a picture of affliction. This is a testimony of the Christ who would come. We're seeing this in Moses' life. This is a man who's acquainted with sorrow and suffering and misery 40 years in the desert, seeing the affliction, seeing the struggle, having walked away from the world and saying, God, here I am, use me. And, and by that trust in the Lord, having been tested 40 years in the wilderness, he started as a somebody, became a nobody. And I think that's important for all of us. Who are you? And I remember when Michelle and I were newly married, if you were asked me who I am, I would define myself by the fact, well, I'm, I'm a you know, divisional manager with Unilever. I, I'm, I have a company car. I'm, I'm the youngest yeah, divisional manager in the company. It's the largest consumer product company in the world. <laughs> I'm part of the president's circle. We go on vacation to Hawaii. You know. Yeah, I'm a homeowner. Mm-hmm. In Southern California, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's my wife. Yeah, it's not my daughter. It's my wife, yeah. And I, I would define myself by everything I owned and everything I did. And, and in, in eight months, it was all gone. I went from being a divisional manager, working, you know, company car, house, da-da-da. Eight months, I'm living in the equivalent of Section 8 housing, stocking toilet paper at Walmart. Driving a car with 250,000 miles on it. Just like that. And, it's at, and I, I'm thankful it didn't last 40 years. But it seemed like 40 years. 
This is like the old adage of the man, doctor says, you, you've got three, three months to live. He says, what do I do, doc? He says, move to Bakersfield. He said, why? He says, it'll be the longest three months of your life. <laughs> I could say, get a job at Walmart. And, you know, Black Friday was fascinating at Walmart. And, and this, is, this, is, this is Moses. He goes through all of this. And now he's trusting the Lord so that when he's surrounded by mountains on the left and the right and Pharaoh's army behind him and the Red Sea in front of him and everybody whining saying, we had garlic and we had leeks and you've let us out here to die and two million people are coming down on him. And the same two million people that came down on him when they increased the brick output and reduced the materials and Pharaoh is just pressing in on him and they're charging down this corridor coming to just annihilate the weaponless Hebrews. And Moses just says, okay, I've been here before. I walked away from it. God, you've got me. What do you want to do? Because I died a long time ago when I walked away from all this. I'm not afraid. What do you want to do, God? And God says, I'll show him my strength. Moses gives a speech, walks into the water, and the minute his foot touches it, it parts. Everybody's whining on this side and on that side. They write this incredible praise to the Lord. The problem is they're praising the Lord on the wrong side of the Red Sea but not Moses. He was praising the Lord on this side and led the people to praise on that side and delivered two million Hebrews. This is a picture of faith. How do you get to a place where you can lead people that they would trust God? How do you get them to do things that are outside the box? To trust an invisible God, to raise their children in that capacity, to contribute to a move of God and to pour your life in. Let's turn to Acts 7. We've got a little bit of time left. We'll just go through it. Turn to Acts 7, if you would, please. Look at verse 17. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. This is Stephen's sermon that he's given to the Jews, and they end up killing him at the end. He talks about Joseph, that another king arose. This man dealt treacherously with our people. Drop to verse 20. At this time, Moses was born, was well-pleasing to God. He was brought up in his father's house for three months. But, he, but when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptian and was mighty in words and deeds. But when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him, who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian, for he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. He thought he had figured out the plan. He said, God, I'm with you, and and I got a plan, and it's going to work. And you know what? God has a way of showing us that he doesn't need our help. You know, God, you got all of me, and and it comes with this spectacular plan. I'm going to strike this guy, and the Hebrews are going to rebel with me. Check this out. It's going to be amazing. It really is. I mean, you've got a bargain in me. And God reduces man to a minimum that he might pour in his maximum. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord to lift you up. Well, this all occurs and it doesn't go the way that, that Moses had hoped. Uh, uh, look at uh, verse 26. The next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong, pushed him away saying, who made you a ruler and judge over us? So the Hebrews don't even want him. You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating because when you step out in faith, especially in the church, the church rebels. Nobody likes to have their comfort zone shook up. 
One of the coolest things, and I didn't even realize it was happening, is when we left Skyline to come here. When we left Skyline to come here, anyone who left that church and the comfort of that church to move to this location, it, to me, it was an exercise in faith. And then we, we came in with another church. It was a brand new building. We had no idea where we were going. We, we, all the assets stayed there. All the liabilities came here. We struggled through this, the process. Uh, there were days where we were wondering if we were going to make it. I remember the very first Sunday, Michelle and I are out front going, what have we done? Nobody showed up. You guys were all late for worship. It was killing us. And, and yet, in the process, we didn't know that God would go in this direction, that you'd have a pastor run for assembly and then city council and all the things that we've incorporated and the stuff that we've been doing around the country. And, all, and everybody's walked with it. And yet there was still struggle. And some people walked away and some people didn't want it. And I got an earful from a number of folks. And, and that's the way life is. It doesn't mean that they're not Christians. It doesn't mean they don't love the Lord. It's just turning a corner is hard and people don't like to be pushed. They don't like to, they don't like to be taken out of their comfort zone. And, and whatever Moses assumed didn't happen. And, and these guys jumped on him. Verse 28, do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? And then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. When he was 40 years, when the 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, take your sandals off for your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you ruler, judge, is the one God sent to be ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in a bush. He brought them out, and he had, uh, after he had shown signs and wonders, signs in the, in the land of Egypt, in the Red Sea, and in the wilderness 40 years. So obviously you see this, this calling of God on his life, and, and the burning bush speaks to him. And, and, as, and as he obeys it, he struggles in this process of obeying the Lord. I want to share with you one thing in particular. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 3. We've got a few minutes left. Exodus chapter 3. In verse 4 of Exodus chapter 3, God calls him and says, Moses, Moses, Moses says, here I am. And the Lord says, draw near to this, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your fathers, as we read in Acts 7. And, and the Lord says in verse 7, I've seen the oppression of my people, and I've heard their cry of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Verse 8, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptian. And bring them. who wants to deliver a stiff-necked, complaining, grumbling group of people? God does. He wants to take them into a land flowing with milk and honey. He wants to set them free. And the cry of the children have come to me, verse 9. Verse 10. He says, come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He, Lord, do you understand that you don't get it? You, you don't know who you're calling here. Forty years ago, I was ready for this. I'm 80 now. Surely you can find somebody younger and more gifted. And it's amazing how we worship youth in our culture. I've got another eight years before you guys kick me out of the church. And that's true because that's, that's the lifespan of a pastor in the Conejo Valley. Uh, Larry DeWitt's gone. You know, uh, Steve is gone. 
And we can just go down the list. And we worship youth. And I look at Larry. I look at Steve Larson. These are two guys that were instrumental in unifying the pastors in the community. And the minute their churches kicked them out, it imploded. It took us years to rebuild it. The congregation that did that didn't understand what they had done to the community. And that's not to despise the pastors who are there now. I think Sean Thornton is amazing and Tim Sherrod is a, is a gift. And in spite of that, God still did it. And these men survived and they're still with us in the community and we're doing and we're working through it. But I think the congregations are also realizing that they lost gifts in those men. And, and Moses is like one of the elders in those congregations. He's saying, you don't want me. I'm 80 years old. So it's like looking at Marty. Marty, you're, you're going to lead the people out. Oh, my back hurts and I'm struggling. You know, I get up and I get dizzy. And this is the picture here. And, and um, look at, uh, oh, verse 12. So God said, I will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said, I am who I am, which is where we get the tetragrammaton, uh, Y-W-H-W. It, it's I am that I am, a Yahweh. I will be for you whatever you need, where we get the word Jehovah. So you have Jehovah Tezdekanu, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Rapha. It, it, he will be for you whatever you need when you need it. I am. I am the, the self-existent one. Powerful name. No, no other religion has ever comprehended something like this. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers. He goes through this whole picture. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together. Say to them, the Lord God of your fathers has sent me. I've surely visited you, seen what is done in Egypt, and I've said that I will bring you up out of the affliction of the Egyptians, verse 17, to a land flowing with milk and honey, verse 18. They will heed your voice, and you will... And, and you shall come, and you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. Uh, but I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst after that and let you go. This, this burning bush is telling him what's going to happen. And he's thinking to himself, are, are you kidding me? Who do I say sent me? I am. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you got another name? Because that isn't going to work. I mean, that is just odd. I am has sent me. And, and all of this heaviness and all these things. Um, and, and by the way, God says, when you leave, you're going to ask all the women for their jewelry, articles of silver, articles of gold, clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. This is verse 22. And this long living, enduring faith that we read about in, in Hebrews 11, this is what Moses is capable of. And, and, and this long enduring faith that God gave him at 80 years of age allowed him to endure the complaining of 2 million Jews. And then look at chapter four. Moses answered and said, but suppose, and he's, he's basically saying, God, have you considered they will not believe me or listen to my voice? Have you not considered that, that they would say the Lord has not appeared to you? And the Lord just said to him, what is in your hand? Okay, you wanna have this game? What's in your hand? Moses is like, it's a staff. Some God you are. <laughs> you don't know what this is. Cuckoo. He says, it's a rod, Lord. He says, cast it to the ground. And, you know, he doesn't have anything better to do. And he's 
having a conversation with a burning bush, wondering if he's on LSD, and he throws the, the, the rod down, and he, he casts it on the ground, becomes a serpent. Moses runs from it, and, and the serpent is this depiction of a, of a poisonous viper. And the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Last thing you want to do with a snake is grab it by the tail. You've got the wrong end, and they have the ability to turn around, whip you, and bite you. And he's saying, um, <laughs> that, that's poisonous, and now, granted, you turned the rod into a snake, uh, and now you want me to grab the end I'm not supposed to grab, that, and that's going to kill me. Um, and, he, and he does. So he cast it on the ground, became a serpent. Moses fled from it. The Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. He reached out his hand, caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Just like that. And, and God is saying, look, you trusted me on this. You can trust me when you go to Pharaoh that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, goes through the whole thing, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. Now, this is an interesting one. He, he has his, his coat out like this. You know, he's got it open. He says, now put your hand in your bosom. So he puts his hand in like this, and, and he puts it towards his bosom. And, and the scripture says, he took it out, and behold, his hand was leprous. So you remember Hansen's disease. He pulls it out, and it, it's completely saturated with leprosy. That's That's... That is a death notice for anybody. He pulls it out and you can just imagine he's stunned. And at this moment he's singing, I'm a dead man. He says, put it back in again. He puts it in, he comes out and it's restored like the rest of his flesh. And what he's telling him is, Moses, we did this already. This is a remedial lesson. Do you remember when you took matters into your own hand and you killed the Egyptian and where you ended up for 40 years? Every time you reach into your flesh to try to make this happen, you're not going to accomplish anything. It's rotten. Your works are but filthy rags. The only thing I need you to do is trust me. Trust me when I say take the serpent. Trust me when I tell you to go speak to Pharaoh. Trust me. Trust me when two million Jews are complaining. Trust me when all these things happen. Trust me, he keeps saying. I I wrote this down, and this is one of those things that blows my mind uh, Two million people in the wilderness. That's 1,500 tons of food a day. A day. He's got to come up with 1,500 tons of food a day where there is no food. And if they ate like Americans, it's 4,000 tons of food a day. No, serious. Um, 11 million gallons of water a day. That's just brushing your teeth and rinsing your hands. And you'll get a little sip of water. 11 million gallons of water a day in a desert. And Moses, you got to trust me on this one because it's not going to make any sense. And you go through this whole process and this is what happens. This is this picture that God has the ability, if you'll but trust him, to do amazing things. And I marvel again. I marvel again today. I'm sitting across from a lobbyist. I sent a package to uh, the press secretary of the president of the United States who asked for the package with a devotional and a letter that I wrote him. He responded to my text today. I said, I sent it. He said, thank you so very much. I said, there's a instructions. He said, I'll follow it. How does this happen? I'm going back to go minister to classmates 30 years ago that look at me like you're a what? You know, a pastor. And you get to a stage in your life where you walk out of a door and you forsake for the purpose of honoring God 
and your whole life takes a different course. And there's been afflictions along the way. But my wife and I can both testify, working at Walmart, losing all these things, living in Section 8 housing, living in Fresno, having our cars stolen, you know, having all these things happen, uh, living on secondhand harvest food bank, living in a windowless apartment. You've heard all and all and all and all and all. You know, turning down Santa Barbara. I can go on and on and on. And we look back on it. I don't remember any of the pain. None of it. And I stand here going, when did I get a chance to speak into somebody's life where they're crying in a Starbucks? Where did that happen? I, I couldn't get two people to sit in a room and listen to me. And you guys show up on a Wednesday night. And you've had a full day of work. And you listen to me for an hour. Nobody's paying you, I don't think. At least I hope not. You're here because something ministers to you. There's some sort of an insight in, in the scriptures through application or whatever. Now let's just play a recording. But, but, but the idea is for all of our lives, we are living epistles written on the hearts of men for all the world to see, and it comes by the choices you make, choosing, refusing. And that's a choice every day. Do you want to indulge? Or do you want to refuse? You want to walk with God? It's going to come with affliction. And most of the time, we run to the places where we're going to find comfort because it's all about us. And God's saying, it's all about me. And we get those opportunities every day in life. And when you do that, your life has more and more substance. There isn't a man on the face of the earth from the age of 80 to 120. You know why he could lead two million people into the promised land? He started as a somebody. He became a nobody so that for the last 40 years of his life, he could become an everybody. A man like that has the ability to reach people because he has been acquainted with sorrow, knows how to trust God, and knows where the answers are. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He'll turn you from a somebody to a nobody so he can make you an everybody. And watch what God does in your life. Amen? Any questions tonight on the text? Any thoughts? Yes? Yeah, the shortest distance between uh, two is a straight line. Yep. It all implodes. That's a good word. Uh, you know the movie we saw the other night? Remember that? Um, where where we, we saw uh, the, the excavations in Egypt? Do any of you remember that? Yes. Do you want to see that movie in its entirety? Yes. It is a fascinating movie. If we do that, we're going to have to limit worship and we'll go right up until 8.30 to see the entirety of it. And I have to tell you, it is fascinating. Um, I'd love to play it for you if you want to do it. It's, it's going to require you to have a nice jolt of coffee with an extra espresso shot um, and, and take notes because the work that went into this is fascinating. And it's, it's one of the most insightful movies I've seen that's really blessed my understanding of, of, uh, of this journey in the Exodus. It's powerful. So we'll, you know what? We'll show it next week. We good with that?
because we'll have concluded our study with Joseph and Moses and we'll put it in. All right? And if you want to bring popcorn or candy or something, you have to bring enough to share. And then we'll pick up with the, the, the final folks in the Hall of Faith, which are some really cool people and some interesting folks. I can't wait to get to Samson and Rahab and some of these funky folks that you wonder how they got in there. I mean, Samson, he's like putting Donald Trump in, in the Hall of Faith. It just doesn't make any sense at all. This guy's never done anything moral in his whole life and he makes it into the Hall of Faith. I don't get it. That just means there's hope for all of us, amen? Any other questions tonight or comments? Yeah. I, I think I think he he knew growing up with his mother. Really? I think she imparted it to him. Because when he comes of age, he just realizes, you know what? This isn't me. I mean, I've got all this avail, available to me, but it, it's time to give it a, a, a you know, I got to close this chapter of my life. I, this is what this is who I've always been. I remember mom. The the, the movie Lion. Any of you seen it? You know, here's a, here's a guy who's adopted by Westerners. He, they thought he was abandoned. He just got separated from his brother. And he has these dreams of, of his brother and his mom. And he sees these pictures. And he, he just has very little to go on and goes to find. And he, he finds them. And he just realized, this is, this, this is calling me. I think that this happened in Moses' life. It doesn't specifically say, but I, I think from, from the point that his mother had his ear, which God ordained, all the way up until... You know, he just turned to Pharaoh's daughter and said, I, I, I don't want to be. I'm not, a, I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a Hebrew. Uh, brown eyes. He was Semitic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, we better close this quickly. Anything else? Last call. All right. Lord, thank you for this evening, and more importantly, Lord, thank you for your word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt with man. And Lord, every time we study it, we open it. Lord, we come alive to your word because your word causes us to come alive. It's living, it's breathing. And so, Lord, we're grateful for tonight, even in the midst of, for many of us, a a hectic week, a trying week, a difficult week. We're refreshed and strengthened by your word. It renews our vision and puts our perspective in place. And so, God, thank you. Thank you for these heroes of faith. Thank you for Moses, that he would choose to suffer affliction rather than the passing pleasures of sin. And, Lord, we get to refuse and we get to choose. And so, Lord, help us to do that by your Spirit. Bless us, Lord, that we would honor you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.